Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you this morning. How are you this morning, Dr. Paul? Doing well, doing well. Good, good. So we did a little th things a little differently yesterday. We, did. we were on a different what they call platform. Yeah. And, uh -huh. uh, somebody else, uh, you know, uh, we've we've uh, had had a setup that worked, but not as well as we thought, and. We put it up on Rumble and looked uh -huh. like we're going to be there. And how did it go technologically? Did we uh, work it out pretty well? Well, our fine engineer in the back was twisting and turning the knobs and no smoke poured out. So he got us rolling through this and we actually got very great numbers. So we're grateful to the Rumble people for featuring us prominently. And we got up there and, you know, people that want to watch us on YouTube, that's fine too. And in fact, our numbers on YouTube weren't any worse than they usually are. So it's a win-win and, uh, you know, hopefully we're, you know, we're very cautiously optimistic. Maybe one step in the direction of uh, the free market. Yes, exactly. Maybe free speech too. <laughs> Not have too much censorship. Yes. So there were other things going on yesterday. Uh, there was a little election here and there. But, you know, the first thought that came to my mind, and I have a partial answer to it, and that, that is, uh, how'd Trump do? Yeah. <laughs> He's not on the ballot, but he really was on the ballot. Yeah. And uh, just with my casual looking at the results, uh, it looks like uh, Trump came out pretty well in Arizona. But, uh, you know, I, I was watching TV, not extensively, but a little bit here and there last night to get some results. And there would be a result, and they would give results, but they, they were very uh, vague on... Oh, this this person is a Trump supporter, and that's a. I have to admit that's an important political yeah. uh, and a PR issue, but uh, today you could figure it out. But, but it seemed like they didn't mention. Oh, this is the this is the Trump supporter because these stations I was looking at weren't Trump supporters. Yeah. So they just sort of. So last night it was still a little vague, and now the election returns are clearing up, but. But Trump did. Uh, he came out pretty well in Arizona. Especially in the big races in Arizona and elsewhere, he came out really strong. And the reason they don't want, what they don't get about Trump in a way, uh, and we've had a lot of problems with, with Trump, that's a different issue. What they don't get about Trump is the more the elite try to ignore him. It's kind of like with another candidate I remember. <laughs> the more the elite try to ignore the person and try to you know, downplay that person's success, the more the grassroots are feeling support for it. And I think that's what we're seeing here. But the first big victory for the Trump-supported candidate, we can have a picture, we can put it up here, Blake Masters in Arizona. He is a senatorial candidate. Uh, he's come out big. He won. Uh, he beat two challengers in the primary side. He will be facing Democratic Senator Mark Kelly, and this is viewed as one of the most probable Republican pickups. Kelly is unpopular. I can vouch personally because I met him with my son. He's a pretty unpleasant fellow. That's another story. But Blake Masters, overtly uh, endorsed by Trump uh, and successful last night. Wonderful. You know, <laughs> Trump is always in the mix. There's no, there's no doubt about it. And I think the uh, Democrats go at it the wrong way. I hate to give advice to them because they <laughs> might take it. It might be worthy, worthwhile advice. <laughs> But I think that uh, their biggest mistake is, uh, in spite of their tremendous victory in the last election, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, th I think where they get into trouble is, I would say, 90 percent 
of everything they do, including the Republicans who go against Trump, they do it out of hatred. I think it's personalized, it's hatred, he precipitates it, He's, he, he, sort of, he sort of invites some of that. He likes a, a little fight here and there. <clears throat> but it, it can't be just hatred. I think that finally gets to be pretty boring, especially uh, with the people that like him. And then all of a sudden, the fact that uh, now the pieces are falling together, that a lot of things Trump stood for and how things were going before, far from what we would like to say. But uh, when you... In politics, it's usually a comparison. It seems like Trump probably had a better policy with China, and he probably had a better policy with uh, the oil industry, and it probably was not laissez-faire capitalism, but there's a big difference, and I think the just turning it into hate won't work. Uh, so <clears throat> I don't think I don't think I'm going to have an influence on the Democratic Party. So I'm not going to worry yeah. about the advice that they all of a sudden talk about the issues. Honestly, yeah, oh, that would be that would be such a leap that uh, we'd be dumbfounded if that happened. Yeah. Well, another big place, I think, at least is Michigan. And this is sort of near and dear to my heart in a way. And we can put up that next clip. <clears throat> this is Tudor Dixon. And she was victorious. She was a Trump endorsed candidate for governor of Michigan. And this is um, near and dear to my heart because, you know, Michigan, if you remember Dr. Paul under COVID, they had a horrible Whitmer, horrible governor, shut the whole state down, was really a Stalinist in many ways, uh, just an awful, awful person. So it would be a really, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a, you know, political person. But nevertheless, I love revenge. And her winning, that's, I want to hurt the bad guys. So Tudor, her victory in the primaries is great news, and I would love to see her. She's probably bad on a lot of things, but I would love to see her win just as revenge for evil people like Whitmer. Well, you know, time moves quickly, and we're into the middle of the second half of, uh, you know, this Congress and that's going to come around fast. Here we are in August, so we're going to see a lot more primary races and things uh, unfold. But uh, it seems like uh, if the Republicans don't do very, very well, in spite of all the hatred thrown at them, uh, something's wrong. So, something's wrong with their approach, uh, or they 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 haven't approached it right. One thing that has aggravated me to no end is they still use it, and the Republicans never corrected. It's uh, it's Trump wanted to overthrow the election. Yeah. Well, in a way, uh, the election. Maybe they. Why should it be? Why should asking for a recount be overthrowing the election? Yeah. Why don't you say, we have, well, no, we don't want to overthrow the election. We want an honest count. Yeah. And we have a right to it. We have a right, a right to, uh, uh, you know, have recounts and, and double check. That's where they ran into a lot of problems. Yeah. And, but eventually it was, they, the Democrats were very shrewd and, uh, and shifting it to overthrowing the duly elected yeah. president of the United States, it was going to be a coup right out in front of us. So that, that's how they got away with that. It's almost like, what were they so afraid of, right? Now, Trump could have handled it better, you know, <laughs> yeah. blustering and all this stuff. But it's like, you know, you were protesting too much. But here's another one in Michigan, and this is an interesting one, too. Because we're also looking at this, uh, obviously, for the, for the elections coming up, and believe it or not, just a couple of months, the congressional elections. Yeah. But also 2024, this is John Gibbs. 
He's running for the third district of Michigan. Now he defeated uh, a sitting representative, uh, Peter Meyer, in the primaries. And Meyer is one of 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach President Trump. So this, I'm sure, is a particularly sweet victory for Trump. Here's a representative who voted to impeach him, Republican voting to impeach him, saying he's not fit for office. He's defeated in the primary by Mr. Uh, Mr. Gibbs here. So I'm sure that Trump feels that that is a particularly sweet victory and potentially a harbinger of things to come. Check it out. Not only good with revenge. Yeah. <laughs> they got it. Well, here's a good quote from an article we saw on Zero Hedge, giving them full credit. This is a veteran Republican strategist, Mike Makoviak, and here's what he had to say, and this I think is a pretty good summary. He said, Trump's endorsed candidates had a good night. His endorsement record in GOP primaries remains very strong. Sometimes he rides the wave and endorses obvious winners late. Sometimes he creates the wave. The more he wins, the more he is feared by GOP candidates. And I think that's key right yeah, there. Yeah, I think there's going to be a shift in ad attitude. You know, if, if you wanted to, there, there were some technical things in the election and counting votes and how the college, electoral college worked which you could make some cases, and some good libertarian thought persons have pointed that out. But that isn't what these guys were doing. Yeah. They were playing pure politics, and they were joining the hate crowd. Yeah. You know, Trump said this to me, and I don't like him, yeah. and you know, it's all the thing. I think their motivations were wrong because they did not approach it on, on principle. Well, here's one thing that really caught my attention. You may have seen a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, Turning Point USA, which is young conservatives, they had their big rally down in Florida, and they did a straw poll down there. And for what it's worth, I think it's interesting to see how Trump is being viewed by young, very conservative Americans. And let's put this up because it's pretty dramatic when you look at it, this, just this poll, this next picture, if you can. Here it is. If Donald Trump did run... And the 2024 Republican presidential primary offers the following choices for whom would you vote? Donald Trump, 78.7, Ron DeSantis, 19, and the others are barely also rants, including your favorite, Dr. Paul, Mike Pompeo, only 0.5%. So young Republicans, young conservatives don't like any of them. But I was a little surprised because I view DeSantis as younger, more energized, more, you know, good looking guy, whatever. Um, but he was trounced by Trump in DeSantis's own state among TPUSA attendees. That might be a powerful message out there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the direction that we're going. Well, speaking of the direction we're going, unfortunately, again, it's toward war. We talked about Pelosi yesterday. We're going to do a little bit of an update. She went in. She spent the night. She got an award from the president of Taiwan. Some kind of weird-sounding award, but who am I to judge? The Clouds in the Sky Award or something. She made a couple statements, hopped on a jet, tried to avoid the Chinese missiles flying overhead, <laughs> and took off. And you'd say, well, that was great. We, you know, we owned the Chinese. We showed them. But at the end of the day, really, I mean, what was, what was, the, what was the whole point of the thing? It ratcheted up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the struggle between fully understanding, you know, first I look at it and I say, it's pure stupidity. Or do they have an ulterior motive? Yeah. But you know, it isn't. They've often talked over the years, uh, and I always wonder why they had to have full, uh, a full amount of power to fight two wars at one time. You know, east and west, and be be, pre be prepared. 
So they're always preparing. And right now, you know, at the same time, uh, the antagonism is toward Russia as usual. And, and now it's really building up. Now, as I recall, I don't think Trump was uh, anything like this where he really tried to provoke. And when you think about it, and, and people hate him for it, it's risky even saying, uh, trying to be objective. But, you know, the uh, the Nixon deal of opening yeah, up, yeah. You, you could say, oh, that's horrible, that's horrible. Yeah. And yet, how many years ago that's been? It's been a long time, and there's been billions and billions of dollars worth of trade between both. Yeah. And then I think what happened on there is the Chinese became too capitalistic, and they were beating at us. Yeah, our game. Game. We were so, so foolish as to continue to destroy our own economy by print, print, print. The money filters into our people. The goods and services come cheaper from from China, so we spend our money overseas. Change the balance of trade, and the Chinese didn't go looking for a war. Yeah, I mean they don't. Well, what? Just a fraction of what we spend. I mean, it takes it takes nine big countries to even come close to what we spend on defense. Well, yeah. it has nothing to do with defense. It yeah. has to do with subsidizing uh, the uh, militarism of what we follow in this country. And, you know, as a perfect example of what you always say, there's only a uniparty in Washington, especially when it comes to war and foreign policy. Um, your favorite, well, I won't say. Mitch McConnell, the Senate Minority Leader, and 25 other Republican senators issued a statement yesterday. Now, they didn't say, hey, take it easy, Pelosi. You know, we, what do we need this war for? No. They sent a statement saying, good job, Nancy. You really own the Chinese. And here's what the statement says. We support Speaker of the House of Representatives Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. For decades, members of the U.S. Congress, including previous speakers of the House, traveled to Taiwan. Now, that is disingenuous. And, and I can't believe that someone as astute as McConnell, evil but astute, doesn't know this. Yes, 25 years ago, Gingrich did go to Taiwan as Speaker of the House. And it was very, very uh, uh, criticized back then. However, there's a little detail that's very important. He made an official trip to China first. He first landed on Chinese soil, had an official trip, an official visit with China as China. And then from that, he went to Taiwan. So he paid his respects in Beijing first. And then he did a side trip to Taiwan. That's not what Pelosi did. Pelosi put her thumb in their eyes uh, and hit Taiwan first without going to China at all. You could say, well, we can go wherever we want. We're America. Okay, but as we are learning from all of these mistakes from Iraq and Afghanistan, there are consequences to doing stupid things. You know, this is turning out to be another example of my complaint about too much bipartisanship, you know. They come back and the hawks, the, the, the militant Republican hawks uh, might give lip service to a little complaint here and there, but they're not really upset about, about this stuff because they know this isn't a road to peace. They know that it did exactly what it did. They have to know what that was. This was a pure antagonism. And I heard them, you know, the very conventional hawkish uh, commentators on Fox, they would say, 
you can't look weak. Yeah. You, you know, <laughs> Nancy Pelosi is tough, and uh, she stood down the communists and all <laughs> that. At the same time, you you know some of the general things that maintain peace, like a median divide, and and it's been honored <clears throat> between uh, uh, Taiwan and and the uh, Chinese uh, itself, China mainland. Uh, that that's worked, but now, now uh, they're uh, they said that line's gone and they erased it just like that because that tells you who's really strong. But Nancy Pelosi stood up to him, you know, <laughs> this whole thing. So they uh, they they think that that's uh, that's the best thing in the world to do to stand up to him. But now the Chinese have taken this one other step. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're literally sending their missiles over. They honored that. They yeah. did. They weren't doing that. They had a they figured maybe maybe when Trump was in, they wouldn't dare try something like maybe, that. Maybe, maybe. So uh, I think that uh, I, I I think this whole whole thing, uh, once again, is it pure stupidity or do they like conflict? But once again, we can usually bring in the military-industrial complex having a lot of influence on our foreign policy. And that's such a great point. We can't be seen to look weak. Well, guess what? You fought a 20-year war against barefooted people in a ragtag army, and you lost, right? Tell me that's not looking weak. So you could, argue, you could argue that case with Vietnam. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's how you look weak, by getting into stupid wars. I want to do a little juxtaposition here because um, the next clip is Pelosi herself, and here's her brilliant speech when she got there. If you can put that on, uh, that next... Uh, that next clip, not not the video clip, just the uh, just a picture, if you can. We're gonna skip the video because it's just too bad. That do you have that quote? Today the world faces a choice. Uh, go back one if you can. Today the world faces a choice between democracy and autocracy. Pelosi said during her trip, America's determination to preserve democracy here in Taiwan and around the world reminds ironclad. And you hear this a lot, basically, from all of Washington. And unfortunately, you hear it a lot, Dr. Paul, in libertarian circles. We have got to promote liberty worldwide or else. But juxtapose that between someone we both respect a great deal, and that's David Stockman. Now, he has a great piece that we just he allowed us to reprint on ronpaulinstitute.org. And here's Pelosi on one hand. We've got to defend democracy everywhere. And here's a sane person and a very smart person, David Stockman, almost as if a retort to Pelosi, if we can put that next one up. This is from his article. It's a great piece here. He's talking about, you know, uh, Hong Kong going back to China early on. So he says, so yes, Hong Kong residents may not be as free as they were five years ago, and certainly much less so than they were before the city-state's reversion to China in 97. But so what? That's the way the cookie of world history crumbles. America's security does not depend upon upholding freedom in every distant precinct of planet Earth, no matter how loudly the, he loudly the hegemonists, the neocons, and warfare state lobbyists insist. That is such a great point. But what she said is essentially a declaration of war. Yeah, I mean, yeah. This is by firm because here she is in a very, very powerful uh, position and saying it's ironclad. 
And that means we don't need a vote in the Congress. We don't even need the president's blessing. And we have a CIA that can stir up a lot of trouble when they want to and get things going. But uh, that, that, that to me is so, so strong. So she, she looks like she's canceled out any threat that she's weak. She spent that whole trip. And I think weakness is people who capitulate when there's pressure put on you by bad people. And they, well, I better go along with this, and and they call that a position of strength. But I think it, I think standing up to the nonsense, and they, and you know, especially when the majority is bearing down on you, yeah, that uh, they that they capitulate. But she, she she's uh, she's been on two sides of this issue, you know. She's yeah. not uh, always been this super super hawk, you know. It depends on depends on her mood, I guess. Depends on who's president, right? If a Republican's yeah. in there, she's a she's a dove. <laughs> well, the last one, speaking of war, we just want to do this real, real quick one. We noticed this on antiwar.com. While we are paying attention to Pelosi and all sorts of things, Ukraine is not going well for us, for the stupid U.S. policy. And if we put up that next clip, um, Russia accuses U.S. of direct involvement in Ukraine war. And they've made a very specific uh, threat to the U.S. If you become directly involved, you're going to be targets. And that's just natural in a state of war. But the U.S. keeps pushing, and when there's no Russian response, they push further, as, as they have done with NATO expansion for, these, for, you know, for this past decade, until finally it doesn't work anymore. But here's the background of Russia's determination that the U.S. is involved. Um, Vadim Sabitsky, de deputy head of Ukraine's military intelligence, told The Telegraph that Ukrainian officials consulted with U.S. officials before launching HIMARS strikes and that the U.S. has veto power over the attacks. Uh, and so Igor uh, Konchenkov, spokesman for the Russian Defense Ministry, said that this cooperation, quote, proves that contrary to assurances by the White House and the Pentagon, Washington is directly involved in the conflict in Ukraine. That's pretty serious, and they keep pushing it until there's a snapback. Yeah, it, and you know, uh, this is ratcheting up once again. You know, and, and the uh, Russians are sp speaking back at us. <clears throat> and um, you, I think they're slow. I think they're more tolerant than they should be. What about the sanctions? Can you imagine what we would do <clears throat> if anybody put the sanctions on us that we couldn't import oil or something yeah. like that? We'd do that to ourselves. Yeah. We don't have to have the enemy do it. <clears throat> as we throw our weight around and as we dispose of leaders we don't like, as we use a, as a, uh, you know, the CIA to get rid of the dictators we don't like or participate, I bet we're king of the coups. Yeah. You know, uh, we've helped in more coups because it's an empire we have. We have 150 countries to deal with yeah. and take, take care of. And uh, I think sanctions are like blockades. But not, that hasn't been touched. But right now... This looks like it got the, the Russians' attention even more so, and they're, they're speaking back on this. But, you know, all this activity, to, to look for, to aggravate it, whether it had been in the Middle East, whether it was in Syria, whether it's in Ukraine, does it help, does it help the American people in any way whatsoever? Does it help the people, say, in, the, <coughs> in, in Ukraine or wherever... They are the people of Ukraine, even though they have to pick sides and they have their differences, uh, that, that is hardly uh, beneficial to them. Because once 
Ukraine permits themselves to be taken over by NATO and they beg and plead it, uh, this jeopardizes their people. How many people have they lost already? And uh, it's not all the Ukrainians' fault. It's our fault, too. Uh, but they, they were drawn into it and they accepted, oh, yeah, we, we, we like NATO over working with the Russians instead of thinking, well, maybe there's a way to negotiate. Maybe we can have self-determination. Maybe the eastern part of Ukraine could have been... Th there's all kinds of options that theoretically the human race ought to be able to uh, work out through, through negotiations. And uh, it, right now, you know, to pro provoking this uh, aggravation with China, I mean, it's, it's probably not on the verge of a, a nuclear exchange with China, but it could be now that the missiles are going over. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing perfect about missiles going over another country that you have such rocky relationships. So what happens if a missile goes bad? You know, we, when we target, when we target people uh, or dictator and we want to kill them, uh, which was is way overboard as far as the way I think you should yeah. run the world. And oh, we missed and we kill a family yeah. and they oh, we'll send them money. Yeah, a couple bucks. Is, is there any wonder people get annoyed annoyed with this? So that uh, that to me is such a shame. And it, it isn't it isn't just the Russians right now. Now they've decided that well we like this stuff really well. This you know the military industrial complex they're going to be so proud of us. Yeah. We need two of them. We want two people, big powers. I mean, two yes, wars. we have more weaponry than the two of them together, but. That it is still to a point where that isn't the final answer. It's a determination. If they think we're messing around with their homeland, there's a different attitude than when, uh, when, when you just have a lot of bombs. Yeah, well, we had a lot more weapons than the Taliban, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a, just a, the final thing. And this, you know, you, you took a little bit of heat way early in the conflict because you wrote, it seems like Washington wants to fight Russia down to the last Ukrainian. Yeah. And they said, oh, how can you say that? Well, here's Lindsey Graham essentially saying that. He said, quote, as long as we help Ukraine with the weapons they need and the economic support, they will fight to the last person. Is that something to cheer on? You know, that sounds pretty, pretty sick yeah, to me. It's almost like bragging yeah. how, how smart we are to intimidate them, make make themselves uh, slaves to war. Yeah. You know, they become enslaved to what we want to do. And, and you, you would think that uh, they, would say, well, they would see the profiteering that goes on. Yeah. So well, what, a, what a pity. Yeah. Well, let's put up the last link just as a reminder again. Uh, to get your tickets for the Ron Paul Institute's Washington Conference, Labor Day weekend, Anatomy of a Police State. I was just uh, chatting with... Uh, with John Anisha Whitehead earlier today about John's speech. It's going to be a great speech. He's going to give a great overview of what the police state really is. Uh, and he always has some great insights at the Rutherford Institute. So John is going to be there. Uh, Doug McGregor and many other great speakers. Jeff Dice from Mises Institute. It's going to be a great event. You're going to meet a lot of great people. Go to ronpaulinstitute.org and you will see a link in the upper right side where you can get a ticket. We keep the price is low because we want to get together. Uh, so do that. We're less than a month away, Dr. Paul, less than a month away. And we want to see everyone there. Very good. You know, we're going to keep plugging away at the issues that we talk about so often, especially on this program, and that is the working for peace and prosperity. 
it seems to be very complex. You have the Chinese doing this, and we have our dignitaries and our bureaucrats doing things that are completely different. We have a military industrial complex, and we have the Russians to deal with, and there's no perfection anywhere along, so the tools that have to be used uh, should make sense, and I happen to think it makes sense to talk to people before you start dropping atomic bombs on people or risking you know, a nuclear exchange. That makes no sense whatsoever. And the rules of a society that can get along together is really not too complex, and the results are so much better. But the trouble is the people who get in power uh, are you know, driven by special interests, money, and power that uh, they, they get put in power in a, in a way that is not always honest. And I think it's, uh, you say, well, yeah, these are bad people. We've got to do something about it. But the bad people do get in our government, as all, in all governments. But what we should, what we should do is, uh, you know, to put some responsibility on the people because governments do reflect the people. And right now, you know, all these threats and everything, uh, uh, you know, there's not, the average person now doesn't even know about this and they, they don't care. They have to, just how <clears throat> we had trouble getting the attention of people of all the things that were going wrong with the lockdowns with COVID. Now it's turning out that every country except the United States are reimbursing, reimbursing people who have been injured and sickened and died from some of the treatment that they either got or, or denied uh, for, you know, for their COVID. So, but the, the, that is not complex. It just takes some decency. It takes alertness. And that's why to have a free society, the people have to be alert. They have to know what they believe in. And they have to stand on principle, not foolishly, but with uh, a direct effort to try the best in the world to bring about peace and prosperity. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.